morning again to you. I know we've, from looking out at, at the, the empty seats, we have a lot of folks who just didn't weather the weather. And I know you're online. Welcome. Uh, my name's Tony. If you're new with us today, I'm the lead pastor here at Gateway. Um, today we're going to continue this Vision 2020 series. As I mentioned last week, it is not a vision series about the church in general, but it's a vision series for you for you personally and for your family. Week one, I shared this big idea that the best me is the me that God builds, that we are built up by grace, that we cannot grow in God with to his joining him and his mission to make me more like Jesus. Week two was about your calling in life. I gave you this big idea that it's not what I do that makes the difference, but it's how I do it. And I talked a lot about John the Baptist. People were coming to him, tax collectors and soldiers, and, and they were getting, you know, they were changing their life. They were repenting and getting baptized, and they would turn to John the Baptist and say, Now what? Now what should I do? I mean, I'm a tax collector. No, you know, a, a believer can't be a tax collector, right? And John said, No, no, no. Go and be a different tax collector. You don't have to give up your career. You don't have to give up your job. It's not so much a matter what you do that makes God happy, but how you do it. What about a soldier? I can't be a Roman soldier and a believer, and I've changed my life. And John's like, no, no, no. Just go and be a good soldier. Be a soldier that's different. And so we talked about that, about your calling in life. And today I want to talk to you about family. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Here we go, right? Uh, Family. Let me just first start by saying this. Family is hard. Ah, There you go. All right. I mean, it's difficult. Family's hard. And you know, sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, they got it all together. Trust me. Trust me. It's hard. Being a parent is hard yes i remember uh when tamara and i became parents for the first time madison it's hard to believe she was that little but she was i remember it turned our world upside down i mean it was easy to make decisions and plan and and when it was just her and i But then when kids started coming along, the fear that you're going to mess them up, right? I failed miserably on that one with my first one. No, I'm just kidding. She's a great kid. The stress, you know, the weight of the responsibility, it all came like that. It's like, I don't know what happened for the nine months that Tamara was pregnant. I don't know why I didn't think about it. I mean, I think I thought about it, but... It wasn't until I was sitting there looking at that little baby and thinking, wow, we did this, right? And looking at that little baby, and then all of a sudden the fear and the stress and the weight of the responsibility. You were now responsible. The decisions and the discipline, (laughs) the choices that we made to help make her who she is, every stage of their growth was a stress moment for our family. When she was a baby, we got no sleep. 
When she turned two, we couldn't keep up with her. When she turned three, four, and five, I was starting to wonder what we did here, you know? Can we send it back? The terrible threes, fours, and fives, right? And then they hit teenage years, and I have three daughters. You can only imagine. Every stage, and now they're adulting. And it don't get easier. Parenting is hard. Being a kid is hard. I mean, you're always having to do what people tell you to do, right? I mean, do you have a say in this or what? Right? And sometimes it was, it's one of these, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing, right? And that's not right, but you see it. And being a kid can be hard. Going through the stages, especially hitting puberty and, and go, getting into the adult years, being a kid can be hard. And then siblings. <laughs> wow, I'm not even going to go there. It's amazing that my brother and I are still alive. So I grabbed this funny clip. It's not a funny clip. I guess it's not funny. But uh, it, it is a clip of a very familiar movie that shows us kind of the hardships of family. Maybe you felt like this some days, but watch this clip. George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, George. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know. I ask your mother. Where are you going? Why don't you see Zeus? Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am? A dictionary? Tommy, stop that. Stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it. Stop it. Janie, go on. I told you to practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <clears throat> George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you... You ever feel like that on days? Yeah. Family can be hard. And then there's the whole blended family thing. You know, I find it difficult to navigate my own family. The ones that I, you know, know very, very well. My own flesh and blood, right? 
But now we have blended families. And we have two families from broken situations, whether it's because you've lost someone or you've been through a divorce and you've got kids and these families are coming together. And I'm always in awe of how families navigate that and how they bring these families together and the whole blended family from two broken families attempting to become one healthy family and it's only by the grace of God and the redemption of God that this happens right it's important though before I go any further that I mention this it's a word to all of those of us who are living through a broken family or a broken marriage or products of a broken family or a broken marriage. Don't let what you have experienced with family or going through right now with family make you tune this message out because this message is for you. It is truth that God's Word communicates general principles that help us thrive in life. The Word of God is given to us to help us thrive in our communities and in our relationships. It communicates the idea that God had for us. But sin has broken that apart. But it's also true that the Bible is full If you would just read it, it's full of numerous stories of broken and dysfunctional families. It's in there. God's story communicates the vision and the idea of family, but it also shows us the grace of God that redeems and restores that which is broken. God meets all of us where we are if we would just submit to him there is no perfect family let's just set that straight it doesn't exist it's not out there there is no perfect family but we all grow and strive to be what God intended us to be and by his grace we become family. I guess like any other institution, when the family loses sight of its purpose in life, when a family loses sight of its mission, when a family forgets why they exist, the family then becomes dysfunctional. Family is given to us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I want to read that to you. God gave us family. He created it. He institutionalized it. He he is the author of family. And here's what it says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. To be like us, God is in relationship with himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. He is one God, but in relationship with himself. We get the idea of family and relationship from our identity because God created us that way. It's who He is. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth. And all the hunters said, Amen, right? 
and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Next verse. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Next verse. Then God blessed them and said, and here's the family, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. From a Christian perspective, the family was created by God for a purpose, for a mission. There's meaning inherent in the family structure itself. God did not create family for family's sake. God did not give us family for family's sake. The problem for all families, is when we begin to exist for our own sake. When we carve out our own little world here, and it's my family, it's us, and we're only looking out for us and out for each other. And when my family begins to go inward, then we become dysfunctional. Stay with me. People say family is what it's all about. Christian families say this, that somehow God has elevated the family above all things. When in reality, God instituted the family as just like he instituted the church, just like he instituted the people of of Israel. He always has a purpose and a meaning for them, and it's not about them. Family problems begin when a family's focus turns inward, when they think family is somehow at the top of the list, that it only exists for its own sake. Inward-focused families who forget their outward-focused mission become dysfunctional. Inward-focused families who forget their outward-focused mission become dysfunctional. We see this in the lives of one of the most famous families in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 27, we read all about it. Isaac and Rebekah became a family. And this is one of the most dysfunctional families that you will read about in all of Scripture. Isaac. You remember Isaac? He is the son of Abraham. Do you remember Abraham's story? If you don't, I'm going to share just a moment here with you. Abraham was given a promise by God. Go into the land that I tell you, and I will make you a blessing for all the nations. The whole world is going to be blessed because of you, Abraham. And Abraham got to be 70, no kids. Got to be 80, no kids. Got to be in his 90s, no kids. I mean, at some point you're thinking, okay, God, this ain't possible now, right? And so Abraham and Sarah, well into their late, late years, toward the end of their life, God finally gives them a promised child, Isaac. And Isaac is the promise for all the world. He was given to us 
to continue this family legacy that would bless the whole world. But they were dysfunctional. And that's an understatement. They were a dysfunctional family. Isaac and Rebekah got married and had two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau. And oh, does the fun begin now. And did they not put fun in dysfunctional? This family was beyond dysfunctional. One rabbi that I read said this about the Old Testament Scripture and about Isaac and Jacob and all of them. In their relationships with each other, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau, they struggle between models of unity and connection. They struggle to be connected and unified. And they also struggle with models of separation and deceit. There was a separation amongst them. There was a deceit amongst them. They lied to one another. They deceived one another. They were always looking out for number one and what was best for them. And it created all this dysfunction within the family. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was born first, but barely. Jacob was grabbing onto his heel. Even in the womb, Jacob was fighting to be first. They gave him the name Jacob, which means conniver, manipulator. And he grew up like that. To make matters worse, the parents picked favorites. They loved, you know, Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau, and Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. And they had these favorites. I know parents, we have our favorites, right? Just kidding. I love all my kids equally. Although when I'm with them by myself, I say, you're my favorite. They know that trick, though. They know that. The sibling rivalry becomes one of the worst in history because these parents were dysfunctional. Esau is a man with little or no discernment at all. He is the oldest brother, meaning his birthright as the eldest son. He gives that up. He sells it to his brother Jacob because he's so hungry. He sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. (laughs) So he is regretful for that. He hates his brother for that. But in in that country, in that context, in that culture, there was the birthright and then there was the blessing. The birthright gave him the right as the eldest son. The blessing was the passing down of everything the father had to his son, who would then take everything the father owned, all of the cattle or the sheep, all of the camels, all of the the rest of the family, which could have been numerous families. They all looked to Isaac as the lead. And when he passed down that blessing to his son, that son would then get everything the father had and become responsible for the whole family. And and Esau sold his birthright, but then he gets tricked out of his blessing by his brother Jacob. Jacob is a conniver. A manipulator. And then mom helps him. 
it gets even worse. Mom comes up with this idea. Isaac pulls Esau in and he says, look, I'm coming down to the end of my years. I'm dying. I don't know when I'm going to die. It could be any day. I'm going to pass everything down to you. But before you do that, I need you to go out. Esau was the hunter. I need you to go out, kill the game, bring it back, cook it up. We'll have a great meal and I will pass the blessing on to you. So while he's out, mom hears all this. While he's out, Rebecca goes to her favorite son, Jacob, and says, hey, I'm going to prepare that meal, and you're going to come back, and you're going to go into your father who's blind. He can't see. You're going to go into him, and you're going to be Esau. And the dad's going to pass down everything to you, and there's nothing that can be done. Once he passes that blessing on, he can't take it back. And Jacob's like, yeah, but I'm smooth-skinned. I don't have very much hair. I guess he worked out, lifted weights, did the nair thing. I don't know. But his brother was super hairy. I mean, he must have been super hairy because here's what mom did. Mom says, don't worry about that. She, she said, I'm going to go get some, some, some fur and skin from an animal, a goat, I think it was. And I'm going to tie it to your body. And so when your dad rubs your head or rubs your back or your arm or chest i don't know you know he's like he's gonna feel a lot of hair how hairy do you think esau was right and so they do this little thing and they're in and they go and they trick isaac and they trick esau and they connive their way and esau passes the blessing down but it doesn't stop there (laughs) then there's this huge fight and Jacob's afraid for his life. Esau's the older brother. He's afraid he's going to kill him. And so Jacob runs and he runs to his uncle Laban. The dysfunction becomes generational. He falls in love with one of Laban's daughters. He has two that he that he falls in love with one of the daughters. And Laban comes to Jacob and he says, Laban does something to Jacob. He, he plays his own game. He, he deceives Jacob, the deceiver. And so Jacob says, well, I want to marry your daughter. And he's like, hmm, okay. I'll tell you what. And I wish we could do this today. I'll tell you what. You work for me for seven years, and then you can have her. Seven years. Now, you've got to love someone, right? And he loved, he loved this, 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 this girl. And so he goes and he works seven years. It comes time for the, the wedding night. In that culture, the women were covered. Laban pulls one over on him. And he sends in her sister, Leah, to the bedroom. He marries Leah. When he wakes up the next day and there's his loved sister laying next to him, that's a big surprise, right? I mean, how would you feel? Horrified, right? mortified and so he goes back to laban he says you tricked me what's going on and so he can't be broken what's done's done you know he says well then tell you what work another seven years and then you can have my the one you love and so he does oh it doesn't stop there it gets even worse the sibling rivalry between these two sisters and jacob Y'all know the story, right? Jacob becomes the Joseph of many colors, is the son of Jacob. 
And Joseph then plays favorites to Joseph. Jacob plays favorites to Joseph. And you know how this goes. His brothers beat him, throw him in a hole, and sell him into slavery. This is a great family, man. I mean, you want to be a part of this, right? Listen, this is a family that turned inward. Only one generation removed from God's promise to Abraham that they would be a blessing to the world. The only reason, the only reason that they were even a family, the only reason that Isaac even existed is because God had a plan to bless the world. And they messed it up. Inward-focused families who forget their outward-focused mission become dysfunctional. A house that is supposed to exist for others is divided when the people in that house are selfish and self-centered and make it all about them. Sin will divide and conquer your families. Period. You've seen that. You've experienced that. You're going through it now. You're growing out of that now. Sin divides and conquers families. Family does not exist for itself. But families exist to be outward and mission-minded. Family exists for God's sake, not for ours. And so the psalmist, I'm going to turn to the psalms, gives us this beautiful imagery of a family. He gives us this beautiful image of family, one that paints a word picture of how God intended family to be, to be a blessing in the world. It's a great image of family, and I just want to share it with you quickly. Psalm 127, I'll read through it. The psalmist says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toil for food, but eat for but food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Listen, it reminds me of the story when Jesus told of the builders who built their house on a rock and those who built their house on sand. It reminds me of that story. One built their house on sand. One built them on rock. When the storms of life began to come against that house, the house that was built on sand crashed and fell. The one built on rock stood strong the test of time. Listen, the stress of life, the challenges of life, everything in this life will try to rip your family apart from the inside out. But it's when we build our lives upon Jesus and His teaching and His Word are we building our house on the, on the, on the rock. 
The reason that our houses aren't standing strong and tall today for the world to see, the reason our families are breaking apart, the reason that families fail and can't make it is because the Lord is not the one building the house. Jesus is not the general contractor of your life. And you're making all the decisions without even considering what he might want. Perhaps you've lost that purpose and that mission. You've turned inward. The only thing you can see is what is good for your family. Listen, God's mission is to bless the world and he will use families. When Jesus was born and when Jesus died, And when Jesus rose from the dead, God did not stop His mission when Jesus went back to heaven. He uses us as individuals and as families to carry that mission on. God is still on mission, blessing those around you and sees your family as a force, a light in a dark place. Listen, you build in vain if the Lord is not the center building your house. Verse 3. Here's this imagery. He says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward for Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Are children born in one's youth? Yes, I agree with you. Sometimes I want to put my children in a bow and shoot them, right? That's, no, not really. Next verse. Blessed is the man or woman whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The psalmist is taking joy in having a full quiver. The blessing of children, of family. Why? Why does he compare children to a quiver full of arrows? What are arrows for? Did the archer go out, find the choicest wood, carve it, straighten it, balance it, Put it in the quiver and hang it on the wall to never be used? It wasn't like us. We go down to Dunham's and buy arrows. Getting arrows in that day was a hard task. Why did he compare children to arrows? Arrows are best and most effective when they're put into a bow aimed at a target, and then released to hit that target. Away from the safety of the archer's quiver, their purpose is to defeat the enemy and advance the kingdom. It is not good when the archer goes into battle and never uses his arrows. He fails at his task. The object lesson is being turned on us parents 
We have a full quiver when we have children. And it is our job to raise our children in the faith. To put Jesus at the center of our homes and to prepare them for one day to be released into the world to be a force for God's gospel. To be used by God. To be controlled by God. I know that sounds funny, but they need to be submitting their lives to the Savior of the world. So how? And I know, I, I, I thought of this, uh, well, Tony, there's going to be people there who don't have kids. That's okay. Your family, if it's just you, what's your mission? If it's just you and your wife, what's your mission? You say, yeah, but I've got a lot of regrets there. I mean, my kids are all away from the Lord. They're not close to God. I feel like a failure there. I didn't know the Lord years ago, or maybe you did and they didn't follow your ways. Whatever that is, listen, it's not over. It's not over. God is in the redeeming business. God knows how to redeem. Take all of our regrets and all of our guilt and all of our shame and all that, and He knows how to turn that around. I'm going to tell you here in a moment how you can do that. And I know there's going to be some people here, it's like, you know, yeah, but man, my kids just make a lot of mistakes. Well, (laughs) it's a good thing you didn't, right? You just pray that they put their faith in God They learn from their mistakes and they go on and grow in faith so that they can take the mission, the purpose of God, into the next generation. So here's two very intentional things that you can do this morning, families, to refocus your family. The first one is this. It's it's not negotiable. You put Jesus in the center of your home. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about good and bad. It's not about doing all the right things. It's not about being perfect. It's not about your kids never failing. It's not about any of that. It's about putting Jesus in the center of the home. What is it that you hunger for in life? Maybe I should ask your kids that. I'm nervous when I ask that question. What do you spend your time and money as a family Let me tell you what doesn't work. Christian homes. Legalistic Christianity does not work. Simply demanding rules without a relationship. Simply saying because doesn't work. If you can't explain your faith, you need to spend some time learning about your faith. If you can't explain why it's bad to be jealous, instead of just saying, well, because God says so. Well, that's going to make a teenager want to do it, right? Well, because we should love one another. Because God loved us. And when I'm jealous and I get revengeful and hateful toward people, that's not loving and it just creates a terrible situation. You need to be able to explain your faith. Simply laying down the law. Love always trumps the legal side of things. It's not that God's law is not important. It's just that love inspires us more to keep it. 
rather than just laying down the law. That's how Jesus taught us to love one another. Love inspires. Rules without relationship just lead to rebellion. I'll tell you what else doesn't work. Lukewarm Christianity doesn't work. Don't just be believers of God, but actually live as children of God. Don't just go to church on Sunday, but be Jesus followers Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Pray with your family. Pray for your family. Talk about Jesus. Serve your church. Serve your community in Jesus' name. Don't be lukewarm and just be a Sunday goer, but live it out. Listen, don't just be a Christian family. Be a Christ-centered family. It's different in today's world. Putting Jesus at the center of your family means that you will inspire everyone in that family to obey God. His greatest command to love one another as I have loved you. Now, if Jacob had loved Esau, would he have done what he did? If Rebekah had loved both of those boys, would he, she have done what she did? If Joseph's brothers had loved him, would they have done what they did? Love trumps all. Putting Jesus at the center of your home means that you will begin loving everyone in that home and around that home as Jesus loved you. Jesus always puts himself before others. I'm sorry. Jesus always puts others before himself. See, I'm, see nobody laughed at that. I just thought, wow. He is the king of truth and grace. He's embraced everyone but wasn't afraid to speak the truth as well. The most important thing to Jesus was the other person. He loved them, and it inspired them to be different. The second thing that you can do, and this is a more practical thing, the first one is put Jesus back to the center of your home. The second thing is this. Develop a mission statement as a family. There's things that I look in my family, and we always kind of had a, a, a spoken one, sort of. My kids probably could never. You know, we just wanted to bring glory to God and follow God wherever God took us and touch as many lives as we could. But you could actually do more with this. If your children are old enough, gather them up, kind of family meeting style in the living room. Start to discuss what your family's about. Why do you exist? Think about how God is calling you as a family to be a force in your community, in your school system, at work, in your neighborhood. Begin to talk to your family. Write it down. Pray about it. Ask God, God, what do you want us to do as a family? Get everyone's input and then vote on it. Sounds a little boardroomish, but... Narrow it down. Vote on a mission statement. Let me give you an example. Maybe the Johnson family says, 
The Johnson family exists to glorify God at work, at school, and at play. Maybe the Johnson family would say, the Johnson family exists to bring God's love and transformation to families with special needs. You see what I'm saying? What does a mission statement do for you? It allows you to say no to some things. It allows you to say yes to some things. It allows you to come back to why you exist as a family. So two very practical things. The first one's not going to be easy. Because parents and kids, kids keep your parents accountable and parents keep your kids accountable. Bring Jesus back to the center. You can ask my kids. It's a value we have. When they get into a fight, and listen, every family fights, right? Especially sisters when it comes to clothes. Three kids who all wear the same sizes. Imagine that. In our fights, sometimes we go a little too far and say some things that we shouldn't. And at some point, they'll hear Dad say, your sister's more important than that sweater. That's loving her. And I've been guilty of this. I make big deals about, about things, and we all make big deals about things, but when you come down to what, what would Jesus say in the, how would Jesus, how should I love my family? How is Jesus going to be at the center of my family? When you start to fight over things, ask yourself, is this more important than them? My relationship with them? If it is, if, if it isn't, then you need to stop and say, you know what, we can work this out. Put Jesus at the center. But here's our bottom line for today. Inward-focused families who forget their outward-focused mission become dysfunctional families. I want to pray for you. Our worship team's going to come and close out for us with a great song. Father, you have given us a lot to think about. And like all of us, we have regrets. There's things I'd like to have done differently, Lord. But it's not over. With you, nothing is ever over. For you take our regrets and you turn them into something good. But first, we have to put you back to the center. We have to recommit our lives, our families to you. Help us, Lord, to find our mission as a family. To find what we're good at what we need to be doing in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our school. Maybe, Lord, you're calling a family here who's very active in sports to become your light in that athletic program, to connect, to invite the families over, to have dinner with them, to talk with them and become friends with them and to be there for them in the hard times and the good times in life. Maybe that family, Lord, who participates in this or that and they're really good at this or that maybe lord you're calling them to just be a light in that circle of influence what is their mission but forgive us for thinking families just about us that's where we become dysfunctional god may we worship you as we close and give you praise May we recommit our hearts and lives to you this morning.